the genealogy of Jesus. As I uh, said a little bit on Sunday, some of you find that interesting. Probably some of you skip right over it and keep on going to like, let's get to the good stuff. What, what's there? But all over the pages of the scriptures, but the gospels, particularly Matthew, they leave traces. You might say the gospel within the gospel, that if you have eyes to see and ears to hear it, God's grace and everlasting undeserved love is in far more places and on far more pages than you might ever imagine. And that's the case here. Sunday, I had left you with this. God is both faithful and surprising. And God is faithful in every way to his promises that he's made to his people, and yet fulfills them in ways that surprise them. And the same is probably true for you if you've walked with Jesus for any amount of time, and especially a long time. You say, wow, God, you are faithful, but, I, but I, I'm still always surprised in the ways that you are faithful. And so when God makes a promise to Abraham and calls him, he says, I'm going to make you into a great nation, and the whole world is going to be blessed through you. Wow, it's, it's an extraordinary promise and we don't really know then, or he doesn't know then, how completely it's going to be fulfilled. And then the rest of the scriptures, in some way, are God's surprising ways that he keeps his promise to Abraham. But God makes a promise, he keeps it. And then from Abraham, you get to David. These are key people in what Matthew tells us uh, in his genealogy of Jesus. Skip a long ways to King David, maybe the, the high point of God's people and Israel monarchy, and God promises to David that he will send a future king that will reign on the throne forever, that is a savior. God made a promise to David, and he kept it. God is faithful. But it's also surprising. If you look through, maybe you spent some time thinking about this since Sunday or before, or, or not, that's fine too, of some of these names that get listed as ancestors of Jesus. And one of the surprising things, and this would be the gospel in the gospel here from the first words, is they're not all purebred Jewish people like God's little own you know, pet clan. No, there are non-Jewish people that end up being the ancestor of Jesus, great-grandparents, great great-grandfathers, and mothers. That there, is, there is Ruth, there is uh, Rahab, Tamar, Bathsheba, uh, most of whom probably Gentiles, and certainly, obviously, there's women listed there in what you would consider a patriarchal society. God is saying in every way that this Savior, this Jesus to be born, is for everyone. No one is excluded from God's love. God's mercy and grace are for everyone. They're for you. And so you have great sinners on the list. Because nobody gets into God's family by being good enough. They get in by God calling them by sheer grace, just like Abraham did. And just like you and I did. So God's keeping of his promises, showing how he is faith, is completely surprising to see Tamar, who I mentioned Sunday, uh, dressed up as a prostitute with to Judah, one of the 12 tribes to have offspring. A terrible, terrible story. Why are they in the line of Jesus? Please write them out of that, God. I, we, we. But the Bible is incredibly honest. 
and God is incredibly graceful. And if you fast forward to the New Testament and the Gospels themselves, the failures of even the disciples are written into the Gospels. Peter, the leader of the early church, one of the main leaders, has his greatest failure written into the Gospels. So everywhere he went, oh, you're the, you're the guy who denied Jesus. Wow, that's, huh, you're the one. Yes, I'm the one. If following Jesus was about being good enough for him, none of these people would make it, and neither would we. And that's not what God is like. God is faithful because God is love, that he makes promises that he will save, that he loves us despite, and all these people despite their great sins. Because God is wildly forgiving and he is incredibly graceful. Okay, now to the structure of all these names, which you might recognize a few of them, and there's a bunch of them. You're like, I don't even know how to say that. Well, I don't either. I just said it and moved on and hoped you didn't notice. There are three major sections, and this is what I said on Sunday. Hey, come Wednesday. I'll tell you the answer to, to one of these things. There are three major sections, and you get to the end, and it says there's 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the deportation of Babylon, and then 14 from Babylon to Christ. Now, for those uh, picky Bible studiers, though, they went along and, and counted names. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 14, ding, first one. Okay. Second one. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 14, ding. Okay. Third one. Count up the names and you only get 13. Why? Why is there only 13 names on the last one? Well, when there's a hard question, truthfully, many people come up with many answers to get degrees and sell books and all sorts of things. And so some are good and some, some are not. And many people have surmised, well, Matthew can't count. Or he got it wrong. Or, and say people that otherwise, uh, smart, good scholars, essentially conclude Matthew's smart enough to write this whole thing, know the Old Testament very well, uh, show, you know, brilliant writer, brilliant writer, all these things, and then yet he can't count to 14 on, on page one of his gospel. So if there's a hard question of the Bible... And if there's a really easy answer that doesn't sit right, it's probably wrong. It's probably a lazy answer. And I think that one is. He's smart enough to do the whole thing, but he can't count to 14. Or maybe he has other reasons that you have to scratch a little deeper to find. And I think the best reason is this. And I didn't make it up, trust me. It's from studying other people writing about it. Why are there only 13? If you look at verse 11... says, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Twelve. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheltiel, and Sheltiel the father of Zerubbabel. For theological reasons, reasons of faith thinking, faith application, faith growth, learning about God, Matthew wants us to count that guy twice. What's his name? Jeconiah. Nobody's named their kids that that I know of, but it's in the Bible. Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and, and Jeconiah, at the time of the deportation to Babylon, 
And then after the deportation, so no other people get counted twice, but if you count his name twice, the last list ends up to 14. Does that make sense? So it kind of overlaps. You count him in both. Why would you do that when you don't with the others? That's the question. And the best say, answer that I found, I believe, sometimes writers put things in there to make us stop and pause and think, why, why, would, why would that be there? He's one of the only with, with more than his name. Jeconiah at the deportation to Babel. What is that? After years and years and years, generations and generations, and kings and centuries of God's people absolutely not following the one thing God said, have no other gods, worship and trust me alone. And after generations of, of idolatry and rampant immorality and not caring for the poor and not trusting the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and God being patient and warning and sending prophets, and some kings are well, most are bad and a few are good. And sending more prophets to call them back, finally there is a consequence for all of their ungodliness. And they are taken over by Babylon. And it is the absolute lowest point of the history of God's people. It is, it is the worst. Enemy army comes in and tears down the city. You know, some ways you can think, raise it, burn it, cart people away. Many people die. It's the absolute worst thing. You're taken over. And it's violence, and it's, it's terrible. And Matthew points it out. He points it out by saying it twice at a key point. Why would you point that out? Because this list is about God's faithfulness. At the beginning of Matthew telling you that God has fulfilled his promises, the Old Testament is being fulfilled in the Savior coming, his name is Jesus, because he will save you from your sins. He says that a few verses later. This is the story of God keeping his promises to Abraham, to his people, generation after generation. Some of these people are really awful sinners, and God didn't leave them. And here's the absolute worst point of his people's history when they were so ungodly that eventually the, the full consequence of their sin is that they were taken over and the temple's not, not there, not working, not operating, and, and people are taken away and they're, they're, they're enslaved, in a sense, almost to another people again. This is the absolute worst, lowest point, and God still doesn't leave his people. So the worst point gets mentioned. Do you get that? The worst point gets mentioned twice to show you what God's grace is like, what God's faithfulness is like, that even at their absolute worst, God keeps his promises. So God is not just faithful and surprising. God is also surprisingly faithful. By every part of my heart, it's like, no way, right? How many times do you give someone chance after chance after chance? God is not just faithful and surprising. He is surprisingly faithful. More than they deserve, more than I deserve, more than you deserve. And when the Bible says God is love, it means even at their absolute worst, God doesn't leave them. He doesn't abandon them. He still fulfills his promise to come and save. Do you believe 
that God wants that story of the genealogy of Jesus, Jesus' family and his uh, dubious relative ancestors that are, are broken and sinful, that you're written into that family. That's what it means to be written into the book of life, to be baptized in the name of Jesus. We're, we're a part of that now. And do you believe that even at your worst, God is still faithful to you? He doesn't abandon you, doesn't run away from you, doesn't say, up. Oh, last time, you're done. No. His name is Jesus, Matthew tells us, because he will save his people from their sins. And here, what looks like a, a biblical problem, people would point out, why 13, when Matthew says 14, there's 14 names or generations, because he wants you to know that God himself loves you and stays faithful and true to who God is, even when you're at your absolute worst and sinful and needy, because God is love. Yes, God is faithful and surprising, but he is surprisingly faithful to you 